if I could help you with one thing about nutrition, what would that look like? Kia ora, I'm Janet Wallace, an endurance athlete, personal trainer, wife, mum of four boys, and owner-operator here at The Rig Mobile Functional Fitness. You're listening to The Rig's Ramblings Podcast, a perfectly imperfect space and place for you to be while we explore a non-bullshit approach to exercise, nutrition, and all the things in between. Via these recordings, we'll navigate what's real about what and how we eat and how we move. I have a huge passion for movement, eating well to be well, adventure, and a desire to help people. We'll meet some epic guests along the way, hearing about their wild journeys and adventures through this thing we call life. Ordinary people achieving extraordinary things. I hope we can learn a thing or two, debunk a few theories, and really see how best we can move forward for ourselves. Let's crank on into it. Kia ora, Janet here from The Rig, and you're listening to The Rig's Ramblings Podcast, a perfectly imperfect space and place for you to be. Today is episode number eight, and we're going to be talking about spot-reducing fat. Um, The most disappointing thing about wanting to spot reduce any fat on our bodies is the fact that it actually can't be done. Sadly, to reduce uh, fat content for our um, in our troublesome areas or in the areas where we don't feel that confident about, we actually have to reduce our overall body fat content. A little bit easier said than done. So when a internet guru tells you that you could eat certain foods or take a magic pill or do certain amount of exercises, A, to make your uh, hip dips disappear, also not a thing, uh, you know, thigh fat, belly fat, back fat, um, all these things where they give you a targeted set of um, exercises and foods to eat or potions to drink to try and reduce fat in these areas. And sadly, that's just not how it goes. And the only way that we can really do it is, as I said, is to reduce our fat overall. And the way to do that is through calorie deficit. Um, The science behind engaging in calorie deficit is very simple. Calories in versus calories out. Uh, Very true. It's very honest. The science has been proven correct in this time and time and time again. However, being in a calorific deficit is actually one of the hardest things anybody will ever do. And hello to Chops the dog who's come to visit. You can hear him clattering across the lino here in the office. Um, so yeah, so there's a couple of ways that we can get ourselves into a calorific deficit. One is with exercise um, and increasing our TDEE or our total daily energy expenditure. Uh, the other is with food. And so... Pros and cons to both. Um, however, when we exercise, and a lot of people can actually create a deficit with exercise alone. For instance, if they are quite a sedentary person, and all of a sudden they take up walking two or three times a week, then they, without changing the way they eat, they will actually create a deficit. Um, and then, of course, you know, if they add in a deficit with food as well, then they will actually lose weight. Losing body fat against losing weight, same weight rather, is same, same but different. And that's probably um, a conversation for another podcast to be fair. So when we bring about a calorific deficit from um, adding in exercise to our everyday lives, 
what can actually happen is that we, and what does happen actually, is that we become quite efficient. We adapt, our muscles adapt, they grow, um, we build our aerobic fitness or our anaerobic fitness as well, and so we become more efficient. And so with efficiency, of course, things get better and more fluid, don't they? So when we create this deficit with exercise alone and we become more efficient, then to continue to create a deficit for weight loss to continue, then we need to increase the amount of exercise. And eventually, you know, you get so efficient with exercise that you'd end up having to exercise all day just to create that deficit. Now, bear in mind, this is purely only without changing nutrition. This is just in the context of exercise being there to create the deficit. So when we want to do it with food and exercise, because honestly that's the best way to create a deficit in my most humble and educated opinion, via food, we need to sort of be really aware of where our food's coming from, how much our food is worth and you know how we're going to create the deficit. To create a calorific deficit you can do it by counting calories if that... Uh, is a tool and a system that you can use that isn't going to have any negative behavior traits or emotional contents um, along with it. It can be quite a challenge um, when counting calories, pros and cons of course, and the other way is through portion control. But we need to be aware of that value of food that you do not have to count calories but calories do count. Um, and so when we are using a calorific deficit via food to create weight loss or fat loss for that matter, we want to create a deficit that is going to be sustainable long term. And when I mean long term in the terms of being in a deficit, I don't mean for the rest of our lives or the rest of our days. But we need to be able to have a sustainable weight loss for a certain period of time. Um, a weight loss phase should always have an end date. You are not on a um, weight loss phase for the rest of your days. That's just not how it works. You will eventually get to maintenance and that again is another conversation for another day. So the most sustainable weight loss um, is between 500 grams and a kilo per week. Uh, I prefer about 300 grams and the way to do this is with a calorific deficit of roughly 500 calories per day. Um, and so when we start to look at our calories, for instance, for our energy use, because remembering as in conversations held earlier in the podcasts, that food is energy and our calorie is a unit of measure of which food has many, doesn't it? So the higher the calorific value of a food, the more energy it gives us. And some foods, remember there are no good or bad foods, however, some foods are more nutritious than others. So how can we sort of maximise our you know, calorie deficit and you know, the goal to you know, reduce our body weight or our fat, body fat? Um, so we want to maximise our total daily energy expenditure. So there are loads and oodles of calculators online for our TDEE. Um, they're all made up of a formula. A few actually there's four different formulas over time that have been developed by scientists. Um, much, much sameness. Um, Mike's macros is a really good one. You can use my fitness pal. Um, honestly, I just Google one for my clients and it comes up. Uh, I don't have my own because they're all much the same. So, um, you know, it's not rocket science there. So what our, what that does though is that gives us 
a calculation and a measurement. So it calculates our body weight, it calculates our height, our age, our sex, how much we move. And so that gives us a guide of what our daily energy um, intake should be for what we're doing at the present time. Then, of course, we manipulate that data or the numbers, the mathematical equation, to create either a deficit or a surplus if you want to gain weight or build muscle mass, for instance. And so, as I said a little bit earlier, we want that to be roughly about you know 500 um, calories per day. And so, you know, that gives us a starting point, and then we just need to figure out how we're going to do that with food. Um, easier said than done as I said earlier because nutrition is quite complex and food itself has so many different values to it and remembering that food is energy or for fuel um, for our bodies and you know I'm a huge believer in teaching my clients that there are no good or bad foods just some foods that are more nutritious than others and some foods that we have more often than others however we need to adequately fuel ourselves when I speak to clients or you know possibly new clients about losing weight uh, generally nine times out of ten most of my clients will say they don't want to count calories and that's fine because you don't actually have to count calories to be able to enter a weight or a fat loss phase but understanding the value of what you're consuming does. Um, it breaks my heart when I hear that people will instantly say to me, oh, I've cut out pasta, or I've cut out spuds, and oh, I don't eat breakfast. And it just, you know, it's unnecessary. You don't need to cut out everything you love to get yourself into a calorie deficit. We just have to understand the value of what you eat and how we can either reduce that or increase it depending on your goals. And so I don't work in the land of heavily restricting because I find that if I heavily restrict calories for pe people or clients, that they'll fall off the wagon. The more you, you um, exclude your favourite foods, the more likely you are to put them on a pedestal and they just become this notorious thing that it becomes all you can think about and it just kind of consumes you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being able to have your favourite foods in your diet even if you're in a deficit. There's just a time and a place for them. Um, yeah, and so you can have your chocolate and eat it too. But we need to build some tools and some behaviours and some coping mechanisms around all these things to be sustainable so that you can reach your goals long term and for you not to be miserable. There's absolutely nothing worse than starving yourself only to end up getting to the nights or the weekends and you, and you can't stop yourself. Because I often relate um, to clients, you know, I live in Southland, New Zealand, which is uh, not known for its tropical climate at all. And we've came off a, we're in winter now, um, but we've almost spring actually, but we came off a summer where we were in a drought, which is very unusual for us. We have quite a lot of rainfall um, per year. Our seasons can generally be all four seasons in one day. Um, Southland is a kind of place where you don't have winter and summer clothes. You never actually put away your jacket because you're more than likely to need it on a hot on a summer's day, not hot rather. And you know, Christmas time, height of our summer, we can have the fire going, for instance. And so generally, we come off this big drought, you see, in the summertime. And there's always a payoff in Southland, we believe, with our weather. You can't have a good summer without having a mediocre winter or you know, spring, especially for us on the farm here, where spring is horrific because you've had a great summer or a mild winter. There's always this sort of payoff. 
And I find that too with nutrition clients, if they are heavily restricting and skipping meals, then there's always a payoff. And that payoff comes with, in the end of the day, with either, you know, they can hold out for so long and then their willpower runs out and then all of a sudden we've got cravings and binge eating. And that's the payoff for heavily restricted. We really want to avoid that at all costs because it, you just don't need to end up in that way at all. That's not to say that when you're in a calorific deficit that it's going to be easy. I don't mean that at all. It's not easy. It's one of the hardest things anybody can actually do and sustain because we do need to alter our behaviour and that can be uncomfortable. Um, but being uncomfortable is part of how we grow. And also, one of the other things we have to note too, that as much as we can try and fill all of this um, calorific deficit with really hearty foods that are going to keep the satiety at bay, there are going to be times where hunger is present. And I'm never going to lie to somebody and say, oh, you're not going to be hungry when you're in a calorific deficit because you actually can and most likely will be. But it's learning how to manage that and trying to avoid it at most costs. So with us here, uh, the rig, how I work uh, with my clients is to, we sort of focus on protein and fibre. Um, the original version of this podcast actually went down a ginormous protein um, rabbit hole. So uh, I'm going to save the protein and the fibre information um, to that incredible sort of detail for another podcast because, you know, we're all about creating episodes here. Um, but yeah, what, what I do there though is we don't, I don't have all of my clients tracking. Some clients I can have tracking and counting calories because that's what works for them. That doesn't invoke any disordered eating. They can manage it really, really well. They understand uh, their needs and their requirements and their input and their output um, specifically. So some clients do have that. For the most part, most of my clients don't uh, want to track because it can bring back um, you know behaviors from the past or it can actually lead them into a bit of a spiral but what we sort of need to do in a sense is we need to be aware of course of what everybody is consuming and a good way to be able to to maintain a calorific deficit is to be able to have satiety and so you know another podcast for another day is our satiety levels are actually hormones but you know I'm not an endocrinologist so we're not going to go too deep into that here but Protein, one of our macros, again, macros, another podcast for another day, um, is you know, really high in satiety and for not as much calories as likes of fat, for instance. And so protein really does help keep us full for longer. It takes um, our body a longer period of time to digest as opposed to carbs, which is almost sort of instantaneous. Um, and we actually use more energy, our body uses energy, to digest protein. And in a calorific value, protein has the same calorific value as carbohydrates, so 4 calories per gram. They both have, whereas a fat, for instance, uh, is 9, and I'm always going to put this in my podcast and information from now on, and alcohol in its purest form has 7. Um, so everything has a value and yeah so we focus on protein and fiber for the most part um, women especially need between 24 and 28 grams of dietary fiber per day we kind of uh, get dietary fiber from our um, leaving skins on vegetables our you know nuts and seeds our whole grains so breads you know oats for instance uh, vegetables fruits 
bran, all those sorts of things. Uh, and so we actually end up eating quite a lot of dietary fibre before um, we, you know, without even tracking it, we sort of do. And it complements with our protein because it aids in digestion and also um, helps reduce the risk of bowel cancer because it keeps the colon quite clean because if you think of you know some skins on some vegetables for instance it's you know coarse and quite rough and the roughage can go down and work a little bit like a scrubbing brush along the colon so dietary fiber has you know its merits and um is probably undervalued in so many ways contexts and forms and yeah and so our proteins for that instance too is um really really important we have a calculation that we use for um protein requirements dependent again on your output and what people do um for instance my protein requirements changes throughout the year um depending on where i am with my training so the more i train the higher protein i try to get into my diet but for the baseline here and when i'm talking baseline it actually means for the sedentary general population our, po- our protein uh, requirements are estimated it to be around 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight per day. Now, when I'm working with clients, I actually have it a lot higher than that, but it's a really good um, base rate uh, to look at. Another way you could look at it if you were, in, for instance, um, entering into a, a fat loss stage and you had a goal weight, for instance, you could multiply your goal weight by 0.7 and that would give you a very, very generalized protein requirement. <clears throat> and then, excuse me, and then we need to sort of understand where we're going to get our protein sort of needs from. So uh, protein is, yeah, an amino acid. It is the building blocks for our our body. So it helps to repair muscle. We works in our, goes into our bloodstream, it can provide us with energy when there's no other energy source available, helps keep our bones dense. And when we don't get enough of it, we rob it from our muscles and our blood and our bones. So it's really quite important. And, you know, without going down another um, rabbit hole in today's podcast, uh, our, you know, where can we get these from? So our complete source because as I said it's amino acids and the building blocks is full of building blocks it has nine essential amino acids and we can get all nine of these essential amino acids they're called essential because we um, actually don't make them in our body so we need to consume them um, from animal products is all complete so a for instance a really good um, source of lean protein is for instance, a chicken breast, which per 100 grams would provide 23 or 24 grams of protein. We say lean chicken with breasts, chicken breasts, it's lean protein, because most proteins do come with a, with a complementary side, a little bit like a plate at a restaurant. So your protein will either have a, com- a carbohydrate content or a fat content. So lean chicken, lean turkey as well, um, have the lowest fat content for that protein, which is what people mean when they say lean protein. Um, yeah, but we can also get our protein from plant-based. Uh, if an, eating animal products is not your jam, then we can get it from all sorts of um, varieties of plants and, you know, legumes, beans, tof- tofu, um, even some of our green veg has a small amount. Um, you know, some vegans or or vegetarians will still have eggs. We can have pea protein. Um, there's yeah, there's actually a huge variety out there, and we just sort of need to 
yeah, kind of get a handle on that jam and where we're going to get it from. And so once we sort of can figure out those sources and, um, you know, what has what, I mean, tell you what, the most simplest way to, um, to learn how much protein is um, in a product is to put into Google protein in chicken breast and it'll actually come up and you'll find that when Google or any metric for that matter will... Um, will give you the amount of protein per 100 grams. Uh, quite relative, um, quite often we use 100 grams of a meat for instance, For if I have a client that is capable of weighing food. Yeah, but there's plenty of other ways that we can do it without weighing food. I mean, crikey dog, that's a bit of a pain in the ass, isn't it? Um, yeah, so portion sizes. Uh, yeah, how we figure that out is the amount of protein that we require roughly about that 100 grams, is actually the size of our palm without our thumb and our forefingers. So that's a great way to kind of look um, you know, into things like, oh, chicken or a piece of steak, or it fit in the palm of my hand, or actually it will. Oh, that's probably about right. And so you're really sort of wanting to up you know, your protein requirements at every meal to keep that satiety. So generally, you know, 25 to 30 grams per meal and 10 grams if you can and some snacks. Um, you know, cheeses have protein, uh, pieces of salmon, tuna, all those sorts of things all have um, different you know, amounts of protein in them. So yeah, so that's, you know, slightly down a rabbit hole uh, in protein. But yeah, getting back to the core topic, because really spot reducing fat, it's just a sentence of which the answer is you can't. So that wouldn't have been a very interesting podcast at all. And as much as I do like to talk, that would have been the end of this conversation. So I hope what you can take away from this podcast is just starting as we go through our different topics that through nutrition and exercise and anything else that we find ourselves rambling on about here at the rig is all I really want to do and how I work with my nutrition clients is to reduce the food wankery that's available on the internet. I don't want people to be buying all these different supplements and tips, tricks and tools that people sell you because honestly if they are selling you something that is quick and easy, it is not quick and easy, there is no quick fix. If they're selling you you know, something to to reduce your hip dips, again, not a thing, genetics, you can't do anything to reduce those, they're not even a thing, I don't even know why I mentioned them, they're freaking terrible. Um, but yes, lose belly fat, don't drink this and that. I mean sure, there are always going to be times where women especially uh, can store a little bit more belly fat to do with cortisol, to do with our hormones. But again, that's a tangent. I'm not going down there today. And it's minuscule, to be fair. Um, so yeah, be very wary of where you're getting your information from. Again, here at The Rig, this is a free podcast. I don't have anything to sell anybody other than my education. And I'm very proud of my education. Um, yeah, so that's the... Uh, tool for today is yeah be very wary where you get your educate uh, information from really look into what that person's sort of offering and what they're promising you because at the end of the day if you're entering into a fat loss or a weight loss stage and phase you want to know what the outcome is going to be you want to know what you have to do to reach those goals and you want the tools um, to be able to do that and to be fair if they're not offering you a sustainable way to lose weight that isn't going to manifest itself into disordered eating or have you m absolutely 100% totally bloody miserable 
then yeah you know you just want to avoid that at all costs it's a minefield out there there is so much confusion hence why I went and got myself an education because I couldn't answer my own questions about nutrition and it's so important to me that people just have the tools that they need for their needs to get them to where they want to go is it specific for every individual absolutely it is but ballpark bigger picture no it's not you know there's always going to be you know people that have illnesses or diseases or requirements that are well beyond my scope uh, there's always going to be people where the most they have complex issues so simple science is not going to be you know a, a tool for them to be able to use but those pe- people and rightfully so should be under medical guidance from the appropriate professionals to help them with their dietary requirements again they also should not be getting their information from the internet so yeah thanks for joining me today on a podcast number eight for um you know spot reducing fat if you have any questions or you want to discuss this and further drop us a line you can always contact me at janet at rigstrength.com um and yeah the closer we get to releasing this podcast we are building a few up in the bank i'm just being honest here we should have our website up and running and you can always find us um on facebook or instagram at the rig mobile functional fitness and again these podcasts will be on spotify and apple so thanks for joining um me today i uh yeah look forward to seeing where this takes us ciao